You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. I want you to remain standing, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. It's good to see all these kids. They are here by divine appointment. So parent, I don't want you to stress out if some of them decide to come down the aisle. That's all right. If they decide they want to make a, a strange noise, that's all right as well. If, they, if you need to leave, uh, there are some, I think, um, Courtney, you'll be over here, is that right? So Courtney will be outside the foyer and go to the second room to your left, is that right? And she does have those little crackers that we see in our cars up under the seat, uh, those little fish that seem to visit in your upholstery and your homes scattered under your couches and the car seats and everywhere else. They are really very good. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Let me read this, and then I want to speak to parents before you're seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. And I've titled this message, Survival Tools for the Christian in Today's Spiritual Wilderness. Okay, so these are survival tools that I believe can help you in what I believe is kind of a spiritual wilderness that we're living in. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith, in the faith. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong do everything in love. Let's repeat it. Let me read it again. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. And all God's people said, amen. Now, real quickly, parent, I want you to listen closely. Spiritual wilderness. The world that we're living in right now. Sheila and I, we were going into Sam's yesterday... We were buying stuff for the church as well as our home. As we were leaving, a young lady who works in Sam's was coming uh, across our path as we were going out. You know, you have to wait in the line, queue up there to get out. And as we were going into that line, this young lady, parent, I need you to listen closely because your child will need you to process this when you get home. On her t-shirt, it said, God is dope. I want you to think about that for a minute. She's an employee at Sam's in Pearl. She wore a t-shirt. Her jacket was open to make clear that people would see this, God is dope. I stopped in the middle of the traffic in this line. I turned to look at Sheila, and I said, that is a clear statement of Marxism. That's exactly what Karl Marx said. Religion is the opiate of the people. And you and I need to understand that I'm not just blindly, over the last four weeks, 
talking to you about Black Lives Matter organization, the platform of that organization, and this Marxist movement in this country. Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the people. For Marxism to work, you have to remove all faith, all belief in God in order for it to take root and to grow and to develop. Marxism has always failed. It has never succeeded. But her t-shirt said it all. Now every parent listen closely. Your child is able to read that t-shirt. Grandparent, your child is able to read that t-shirt. Your child, your grandchild looks, they say, um, let's say Caroline, Caroline says to to Emily or to Eric, I mean to Sarah or to Eric, says this, says, Mom, what does that mean? God is dope. Does that mean God's dopey? Does that mean God's a drug? And you see, children now will be confronted with it at a younger and a younger age. Eric and Jeffrey turned and looked at John. They, they got confused when I said uh, Eric and Emily uh, and I had to correct that. I'm getting old, and they kind of looked at John and kind of laughed. But anyway, Sarah, forgive me. That's not as bad as what I did to poor old Russell's kids a few weeks ago. But anyway, you and I are living in a spiritual wilderness. And, and it's going to take, listen, it's going to take parents with a strong resolve and a commitment to parent your children, you can't just loosely raise up your kids today. You're going to have to be plugged in, on guard, involved, invested in their life, even as a grandparent. You can be seated. Now in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I mean chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Paul is writing a letter. Now we believe that Paul wrote about four letters to this church at Corinth. Let me tell you real quickly, Paul is in Ephesus at the time. And Ephesus and Corinth are on a trade route. So you have a lot of commerce and trade going on between these two cities, Ephesus and Corinth. So Paul is hearing about problems in the church at Corinth. Now he wrote four letters. One of them is even referred to as the severe letter. It was such a strong letter from Paul to the church at Corinth that they got mad and ripped it up, probably tore it up and destroyed it. How many of you... No, I'm not going to do this to you, parent. When I say problem child, does a child come to mind? God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? You know, you see some of these parents say they have their first child compliant, obedient, all you have to do is kind of look at them cross and they start crying and want to please you. And then God says, hmm. And God pulls a joke with the second one, right? Second one's totally the opposite. They're in everything, defiant, strong-willed. I got tickled. Caleb, it's so good to see you and Molly here. Man, I tell you, it's so good to see you. Molly came up last week. Sweet little Molly, cute little Molly, comes up with her little mask on. And, and uh, she was talking to me for a moment and said, Molly, it's so good to see you. And I said, how's Caleb? And she said, well, he was lazy. He stayed home and watched the ball game. No, I'm teasing. 
She said, well, he's not here. But she, I said, well, what about CJ? And Molly, you could see her eyes just get real big. She said, Brother Jeff, she said, CJ is so strong-willed. She said, Caleb's back there nodding. She said, you can get on to CJ, put him into timeout, and he'll stay there all day before he'll apologize. And I said, um, I said, good. That's great. I raised four strong-willed kids. Let me tell you about strong-willed kids. They better be strong-willed in the days that we're living in. Paul, Corinth is a problem church. If you don't believe me, just look at, just look at Ephesians, Galatians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Colossians. Just look at the other letters that he writes and then look at 1 and 2 Corinthians and you'll go, wow, this must have been a problem church because Paul wrote some really big letters and this is just two of the four. He deals with all kinds of issues. I wrote a few of them down there, a multiplicity of issues in 1 Corinthians. Division around personalities. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, Apollos. Some said, of Peter. He, he deals with immorality. They had an incestuous relationship where a young man was shacked up with his stepmother living with her. They had legal matters. These were people taking each other to court, taking members to court. They would get drunk at the Lord's Supper. They would get uh, just loaded uh, there was confusion about the resurrection, confusion about spiritual gifts. There was a need for offering for the poor. I mean, there's a multiplicity of all kinds of problems in 1 Corinthians alone. And so Paul addresses all these issues, and as he's coming to the end of the letter, he gives what I believe are principles for you and I to live by. How many of you put your how many of you remember putting your kid in kindergarten? <laughs> hey, what a what a painful experience. I had to listen, I had to go home and counsel Sheila to it. I mean it. It's a painful thing when you put your kids in school for the first time. And you probably would love to be putting them to school right now, and you can't. But anyway, you know, it, it's, a, it's a real trial on a family. And let me tell you, it doesn't get any easier, does it, Alan and Celia? They've got, uh, they've got Kinsey now over there outside of Atlanta, uh, over at Mercer University, and, and um, Shelby's not, she, she's over in Columbus, and so, you know, you never know when you're going to be shipping them off, and whether you're putting them in kindergarten, whether you're sending them off to college, it's a painful experience, and for every parent, that you, you give them last-minute instructions. When Amy, I always remember, Amy's backing out of the driveway, Kids never back out. We always walk out, and we walk, Amy, we walk the kids up the driveway. I mean, we're giving them last-minute instructions, and this is what I believe Paul was doing to the Corinthian church. So look at it again. Verse 13, Paul says to these Corinthians, he said, after a long letter and a lot of stuff, he says, be on your guard. Wow. Say that to your neighbor. Be on your guard. You know, the word there means alert. It means watchful. It means awake. It means vigilant. Paul used, it's used in the Bible 21 times, and it's the opposite of being apathetic or to be indifferent. Paul tells these individuals, he said, listen, be on your guard. And listen to this. I wrote the implication 
What Paul was implying was this. There is a threat and a great danger that you and I are facing every day of our life and we need to always be on guard. Let me ask you something, parents. Have you talked to your children about Satan? Have you had a long conversation with your children about Lucifer, the light bearer, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, Diabolos, the devil, the slanderer? Have you taken time to sit your children down and begin to help them understand the biblical framework of the doctrine of evil? Have you reminded your children they have an enemy? I was reading something that Erwin McManus said in his book called The Barbarian Way. He said, a long time ago, I decided I would never let that happen to my children. I'm a first-generation Christian, but over the years, I have seen the dangers that come with being the children, Christian civilization, uh, let me see, being the being the children of the second generation and beyond. First generation believers, even when they are barbarians, often make the mistake of raising their children to be civilized. Basically what he was saying was, parent, you and I need to be careful. I, I heard Alex um, oh, Trebek say this, Alex Trebek. He preaches on the radio. He said, when we send our children to school, we ask this question when they get home. What did you learn today? When we send our children to church, when they come in, we say, did you have fun at church today? Isn't that strange? Shouldn't the question be better? What did you learn at church today? What did you hear? Even in a setting like this, what did you hear today? What did you hear today? Have you talked to your children about their enemy? So Paul says here, he says, be on your guard, be alert, be vigilant, be awake, be alive, because you and I have two enemies, and the first enemy, listen, is not Satan, it's your own carnal, fallen, fleshly nature. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, we have a treasure, but it's in an earthen vessel. Why would Paul say that? Listen to what one writer said. He said, they allowed their previous pagan ideas, their habits to come back into their lives and destroy their fruitfulness to the Lord and their fellowship with, with one another. Paul said this, you and I face every day our carnal flesh that is always warring and battling against the indwelling Holy Spirit. Listen to what the writer said again, this particular commentator. They allowed the Corinthian believers, that's why Paul talks about them being carnal, they allowed their previous pagan ideas and habits to creep back up into their life and begin to take control. That's the danger we all face. The Bible said the two can't walk together except they be agreed. That's a church, that's a nation, that's you and Jesus. If you and I give in to the flesh, and our problem is this, you know the words of the song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, I'm ringing, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my life, Lord, 
take and seal it. You know what the idea is? That's positionally, theologically. You and I are in Christ. At the same time, Christ is in us. It's a double baptism, baptismal. We are immersed into the body of Christ. Paul, over 30 times in the book of Ephesians, talks about you and I being in Christ, in him, over and over again. You and I are in Christ. Christ is in us. But listen, the indwelling Holy Spirit has an enemy in your life, and you and I will never graduate it, will never graduate until one day we die. When this fleshly, carnal, earthly body dies, then we will be released from it. We have an enemy. And that enemy, we see it every morning when we get up and we look in the mirror. That enemy is me. Look at, take your Bibles, take a right, go over to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Watch what Paul says here. 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Watch what he says here. He says this. He says in verse 22, he said, Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog, this is for all those that are getting hungry for lunch. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. You know what, you know what Peter was saying? You know what the psalm writer was saying? You and I, as long as we live on this earth, we are dealing with our flesh, our body, and all of its appetites. That's why the Bible said, when Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Do you know what that means? Every day we have to crucify this flesh. We are living in a spiritual wilderness. It is tough to be a believer today. There is things... I can pull up pure porn on this and literally find myself in a world that will destroy me spiritually. And for every man, you know what I'm talking about. Look what Paul says in Galatians 5. Take a left from 2 Peter. Go over to Galatians. Go all the way back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 because here, here's the heart of it. In chapter 5, verse 16, Paul said, So I say, live by the what? Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Now look what Paul says here. They are in conflict with each other, so that you and I do not do what you and I want to do. This is the problem. We have two natures, and listen, they're not peacefully coexisting. They are at war. I wrote this down. Listen to it. Jesus took up, when you became a Christian, Jesus took up residence in your heart. Your heart is the control center of where you make decisions and choices. Jesus takes up residence in your heart. He's a treasure. His Holy Spirit is a treasure. 
But as Paul said, you've got an earthen, carnal, fleshly container, so you've got two natures inside you, inside of me, and every day they are wrestling and battling for control. They both are seeking to be Lord. Jesus said when a man or woman gives their life to Christ, they confess him not as Savior, but Lord. You are Lord. You are Master. You are in control of my life. Jim Henry, pastor for years of First Baptist Orlando, said that when he got up in the morning, he stood to his feet at full attention. He saluted and looked up toward the heavens, and he said, Private First Class, Jim Henry, reporting for duty. Jesus Christ is your commander-in-chief, He's your master. He's your Lord. But you and I have a fleshly carnal nature and it is constantly warring and battling for control. And if you give it control, look on down, Galatians 5, 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, Paul said, and I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. For all of those that are out raising a ruckus, raising hell across this country, I can tell you one thing, they are not under the control of God's Holy Spirit. They may, if a Christian is out there chanting and waving and intimidating and shouting and defiant, and rebellious, I can promise you one thing. They are either not saved, and if they are saved, they are suppressing the indwelling Holy Spirit and grieving the heart of God. Let me tell you, it comes a point to where you sit down with your children, you say, listen, you and I, we have an enemy. And for a dad looking at a son, he has to say to his son, he has to be honest and say, son, hear me. There are a lot of things that you're going to see on TV, that you may see on a phone, that you may hear coming out of your peers and your family, I mean out of your friends and even extended family. There's no guarantee. And you've got to teach them how to walk out their faith. And sometimes you have to say, you've got an enemy and I've got an enemy. And my dad, you know what my dad said about lust? My dad in his 80s, late 80s, we were sitting one day having a con candid conversation about trying to be a man of faith, walking out your faith in a day when lust is so hard for a man to deal with. My dad looked at me, kind of smiled and said, well, son, it doesn't get no easier. Wait a minute, you mean in, at, 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 in your 80s? You mean getting ready to be 91? It doesn't get any better. It don't get no better, son. You know what he was saying? Son, you've got a treasure in an earthen vessel and you're going to be battling. The Holy Spirit is battling to be Lord of that vessel that you and I live in. That's one enemy. And the second enemy is Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. You hear him? You listen, do you hear the accuser of the brethren when you're trying to live your life right? Tell you how sorry you are, how bad you are? Listen, let me give you a, a key. If you want to discern that voice inside of you, the Holy Spirit convicts, it doesn't condemn. Satan, the sound of your enemy is to slander, to accuse. That's what he did about Job. That's what he did to God about Job. 
our enemy knows how to capitalize on that fleshly carnal nature. He knows how to do it. Our enemy, listen, your enemy, my enemy knows that we're prone to wonder. He knows we're a treasure and an earthen vessel. He knows that we're dealing with this body. And he works in unison with it. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters are C.S. Lewis kind of putting a picture to the demonic world. And it's an older demon teaching a younger demon. I remember one of them, his name is Wormwood. And the older demon, listen to what the older demon is saying to the younger demon. Whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us demons as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out of their minds. You've got an enemy. I've got an enemy. So Paul says here to this church, he said, listen, be on your guard. Why are you to be on your guard? Because, Paul, I mean, because Peter said it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Go back over all the way toward the back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Stay with me just a little bit longer. If you're teaching your children and your grandchildren, you're going to say to them, listen, you need to understand you've got two enemies. Number one, you're the enemy. Your old fleshly carnal nature is going to do everything it can to battle for control of your life. Your flesh is going to try to make all the decisions rather than the Holy Spirit. In fact, for the flesh to make the decisions, it's going to have to suppress the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it's going to have to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2. So the only way that your flesh is able to take control and to be the Lord of the decisions that you're making is that the flesh will have to, it will suppress, which means in the Greek, it basically will put out that fire that's blowing up. You know, it's like a wet blanket. It's trying to put that fire out. That's what it means in the Greek to suppress. That's what Paul was saying to the church at Thessalonica. For the Holy Spirit not to be Lord and make the decisions, for your carnal flesh to make those decisions, then your flesh and Satan team up together to suppress and push down the Holy Spirit. Conviction. And when that happens, Paul said in Ephesians, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Which means now the Holy Spirit is weeping inside, inside of you because when you get through, going through whatever sin is taking control of your life in that moment, afterwards you're miserable. And the enemy knows it. You're not fulfilled, you're not happy. And Paul and Peter said it here. Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He said, be, what, what is that? Look at that. Be self-controlled and alert. There it is again. Paul said, I mean, Peter says exactly what Paul said. Be on your guard. Be alert. Be vigilant. Be watchful. You're what? Your enemy. Who? The devil. What does he do? What is the devil doing? He prowls around. You remember, you remember, here. hey, listen, you remember in the book of Job, the, uh, the Bible said the angels were standing waiting to report to God, and Satan is standing. He comes up there, and you know what God asked Satan? He said, where have you been? What did Satan say? I've been roaming around. 
You see, listen, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like what? What does he prowl around like? What does he masquerade as? Hey, listen, everybody look this way. There's only one lion in the Bible. The lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. But your enemy will masquerade as Jesus. He masquerades as an angel of light. He brings confusion, discord into your life. He'll rob you of your security as far as your convincing of your eternal security. He'll bring confusion. He'll bring, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's working in your mind. He's doing everything that he can. That's why you have to have a change of mind before you even have a change of heart. So your enemy, listen to this, you and I are told, watch this, looking like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, what is the next two words? Resist him. Resist the devil. Say it to your neighbor. Resist the devil. Steve Taylor wrote a book, I've got it here. It's a book called Alpha Predator. Steve was a missionary on the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe. A good friend. Steve's preached here years ago at this church. Steve, uh, in fact, he took an old Corvette engine, Kevin, and he mounted, I guess I ought to be saying this to, to Eric back there, you know. He took a Corvette engine, put it on an old boat, and he was a missionary going up and down the Zambezi River working with the Tonga people. Primitive, primitive. In this book, listen to what he said. He said, cowardice never wins a battle against a lion. Only courage prevails. If you are attacked, now listen to this, every hunter, every guide, every safari guide will tell you, every experienced hunter will tell you in Africa, if you are attacked by a lion, fight back. Never succumb or try to roll into a ball. That may sometimes work with bears in America, but it never works with a lion in Africa. Instead, listen to this, look the lion in the eyes. Never turn your back on a lion. And if you're attacked from the back, try to reposition yourself to meet the lion face to face as quickly as possible under no circumstances should you ever fall to the ground, roll into a fetal position. If you do, the lion will just think you're nothing but small prey and will begin to eat you even before you're dead. Peter said, resist him. He uses the word, we get our word antihistamine. He uses the word there, antihistamine. It's the idea of working against something. Steve said, he told another story. He said there was, a, there was an African asleep in a thatched hut. He said a lion came in in the dark Dark, couldn't see anything. He said the lion was attacking this native, this national, and he was trying to find his knife in the dark, and this lion's trying to drag him out of this thatched hut, and he finally, he finally grabbed something. It was a full Coke bottle. And he grabbed this bottled Coke, long neck bottled Coke, unopened, and he began to just beat that lion. And eventually that lion let go of him, and he lived. Let me tell you something, the only weapon you and I have against the enemy is this. That's it. Matthew 4, 
turn the stones to bread, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Bow down and worship me, you shall have no other God before me. Over and over again, Jesus told us this is the only offensive weapon we have. Now, I'm out of time, and I'm not going to go any farther. I was going to go to 1 John chapter 2 and talk about how our enemy works, the strategy of what he does, but I don't have time to do that. But I will say this, you and I are in a different world. You know, I was reading, I, I saw somebody put this on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook hardly any anymore, but I saw this where people were talking about subliminal messages. Do you see this stuff where they're talking about subliminal messages in Disney movies and all of this stuff? Much of it is sexual. And I would simply say this, after about 40 years of ministry and counseling, I would say that one of the great deterrents to many men and women being used greatly by God is their battle in the area of fleshly sexual temptation, especially for men. And the reality is we're, dealing, we're living in a day where it's become very different. This is not Playboy magazine slipped up under a dad's, uh, up under the middle of the mattresses, you know, where dad was quietly looking at a, a centerfold. Listen, we are in a whole new world. The prince of the air is literally bombarding us from every direction. How do you walk your faith out? First and foremost, you and I have to get up every morning. We have to be alert. We have to be vigilant. We have to be watchful. We have to be on our guard because we have an enemy who has done everything he can to prepare us to fail. If you're lost, to keep you lost. If you're saved, to keep you out of God's will, his purpose, his plan for your life. The young lady in Sam's, God is dope. You know what I really wanted to say to her? I really wanted to say, you know, think about that for a moment. What you're saying is, is that you don't believe that a creator is involved in this creation, our universe, our galaxy, our solar system, our world. I said, that's the equivalent of you pulling up on this parking lot, coming up here one day and nothing being here, and the next day there being a Sam's with a parking lot, with lighting, electricity, air, heat, every product stocked on the shelves, every item, every everything. That would be like you looking at me and saying, all this happened by the forces of nature by chance. Let me tell you, all scientists and everyone finally have come to the conclusion that our universe had an instantaneous beginning. Let me illustrate. You see that? You may say, well, are you telling me that our world came into existence that quickly? No, I'm telling you it came into existence in thousands of the time that it took for my finger to snap. Are you telling me that it began with an explosion? I'm telling you it began with a voice of a sovereign God. Are you telling me it began that quickly? No, I'm telling you it began in thousandths of a second quicker than that. Are you telling me, let me tell you, 
I'm telling you that within a peak, a second, thousandths of a second, this universe was in order. Perfect order. The earth, exactly the right distance from the sun. Tilted at exactly the right angle, spinning at exactly the right speed, traveling its course around the sun, a moon sitting there giving us all four seasons, guarding our tides, because if we didn't have the moon, we couldn't survive exactly the right distance. Jupiter sitting out there like a shield that guards us against the asteroids and the meteors that would threaten humanity and life. Are you telling me that that, that came into existence? look at that young lady and to say, no, God is not the goat. You are. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And if you die going home from your job today at Sam's, the Bible says you will stand before the sovereign of the universe and you'll have an opportunity then to call him a dope, but your mouth will be sealed shut, you'll be held in nothingness, and your only mediator, Jesus Christ, you will have denied him. There's only one lawyer that you're going to need on the other side of death. It is who? Jesus. Do you know him? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we thank you. We praise you, dear Lord, that even... In a sermon like this, Lord, the Bible tells us we're to be on guard, we're to be vigilant, we're to be watchful. For every parent, this is a cry to parents. Not only to be watchful, to be vigilant. For a dad, a mom, not only to be vigilant and watchful over the development and the raising of their own children, but also to recognize that they have an enemy. And that enemy is going after children at younger and younger ages. For grandparents, being invested in the raising of their grandchildren, helping them to understand just how much God loves them and how he sent his son Jesus. It's helping our children to understand and to develop in their faith to the, to the degree that they're unapologetic. They can face the enemy. No matter whether the enemy comes within their heart in the matter of temptation, carnal, fleshly temptation, or whether it comes sitting in a college class where a professor with some degree thinks that he knows everything, or a teacher in high school or elementary school makes a mockery and tears down the faith of a student for that student to be able to stand strong and to know what they believe. It's for the mom to look at her child as they walk out of Sam, sad to say, and when their child looks and says, Mom, what did that t-shirt mean? For mom to say, honey, that, that t-shirt means that, that that girl doesn't believe there is a God. But honey, that would be like you and I walking out in the car that we are getting ready to get, get into, turn from a, turn from a uh, Toyota Corolla to a Yukon. Does that make sense? Is that logical? We wouldn't think that the forces of nature change the dynamic, the laws of, of physics begin to 
manipulate and turn our little Toyota Corolla into a Yukon. Lord, may we be more involved in the raising of our children and our grandchildren. May we sit and talk about the strategy of the enemy, understanding that, as, as John will tell us in 1 John chapter 2, that the enemy goes, first of all, with the lust of the eyes. The eyes are the soul. I mean, they're the window to the soul. May we grow in our understanding so that we can battle against our enemy and be able to say every day, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Help me to make every decision according to your will, your purpose, your plan, and not that of the enemy. Lord, help me to recognize the strategies of the enemy. Lord, help me not to suppress the Holy Spirit and to grieve that Holy Spirit. Help me to yield. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or girl, dear Lord, they've never given their life to you, that today, that they, feeling this, the, the tension in their own heart, the tension of your Holy Spirit right now speaking and saying, repent, give this life to me, let me be the Lord. May they yield, may they give over, may they relinquish the control of their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and from this moment on be saved. For others in this room, they are allowing the enemy to win some battles. It's time to take back territory. They can't do it. It's only as they yield that territory to the Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit begin to take back what has been given over to the enemy. I love the song that we sung a moment ago because the enemy can't take, he can't take it. The Bible said, Jesus said, the only way an enemy can come into a house, he'll first have to bind the strong man. The only way the enemy can come and take up residence in the house of God is that he'll have to bind up the indwelling Holy Spirit. But Lord, we are involved in that. May we every day be self-controlled, yielded to the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.